morning. morning. It's a privilege, uh, again, to be able to uh, open up God's Word to you. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans 10. Romans 10. We are finishing up our series, um, Back to the Start. As you can see, uh, if if you're new and you're jumping in on us just recently, we've been going back to the start. Why do we do what we do? And we've been uh, looking at why we sing in church. Why do we give? Why do we have an offering? Why do we worship even to begin with? Why, uh, why do we pray was last week. And I uh, really appreciate Pastor Dell letting me do this one. This is our last one. Why do we tell others? Why do we actually share our faith with others? Why don't you just leave those people alone? <laughs> or why do we even have sermons? Well, it was funny, at one of our staff meetings, somebody said, why don't we do, why do we do announcements? A whole sermon on why we do announcements. And probably not. Probably not. So right, there was a new pastor, not, our, not, not Pastor Dell, but another pastor at another church with his wife that said, hey, it's Thanksgiving. We got to invite a lot of people over. It'd be a great way to get to know people and bless people. So the pastor's wife said, okay, let's do it. And when it came time for dinner, everyone was seated. The pastor's wife then asked her little four-year-old daughter if she would say grace. Now, those of you who are new parents, don't do this. Okay, Um, But the girl says, I don't know what to say. And her mom says, well, just say what I say, honey. And so everyone bows their head, and the little girl says, oh, dear Lord, why are we having these people over for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So, uh, but we hope that you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. How many of you are hosting for Thanksgiving this year? Fantastic. Good. We're glad that you're doing that. Um, well, we're talking about why we tell others, and really the main reason is because is if we don't do it, no one else will, and uh, there is no plan B, and that's not really a popular reason, but somebody has to tell people about Jesus. Uh, speaking of, uh, of, of the groceries and the bags, I have to share you with you this story as well. Um, there was a, a woman, a wonderful elderly Christian lady. She had very little money, and she lived in a rundown house, but she always was praising God. She always had a positive attitude. Her only problem was with the old man who lived next door. He was always trying to prove to her that there was no God. (laughs) One day, the old man was walking by her house, and he noticed a woman through an open window. She was kneeling down in prayer. Uh, So he crept over to the window (laughs) to see if he could hear. And she was praying. She said, Lord, you've always given me what I've needed. Uh, She prayed, and now I know that you know that I don't have any money, and I'm completely out of groceries, and I won't get another check for a week. She continued, somehow, Lord, somehow, can you get me some groceries? The man had heard all he needed. (laughs) He crept away from the window, ran down to the grocery store. He bought milk, bread, lunch meat, a whole bunch of stuff for her. He ran back to the woman's house, carrying the groceries. He set the bag down just outside her door, rang the doorbell, and he ran and hid. (laughs) You can imagine how the woman reacted to 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 seeing the bag of groceries. She threw her hands over her head, and she began praising the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I was without food, and you provided me groceries. About that time, the old man jumped out and said, I've got you now. (laughs) She was too busy shouting, thank you, Jesus, to pay attention. And he's like, I told you there was no God. The old man said, you fool. It wasn't Jesus who gave you those groceries. It was me. She goes, oh, no, no, the woman said. Jesus gave me these groceries and made the devil pay for them. (laughs) She had the right attitude towards God. So, but you know, we laugh at that story and, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of silly. And if, if you don't believe in God, you might be like, yeah, see, it's all about, you know, people's perspective. But you know what? When it comes to us reaching other people with the love and the truth of Christ, 
Why do we tell others? Because God has commanded us to, and, he, and we're the only ones that will or do. When you look through the Bible, there's no angels that show up and, ex, and explain the gospel to anybody. There's angels that point people to other people. There's angels that point to, you know, to, to miracles that are happening. But the angels, there's no, there's no angels that actually go and share the gospel with people. It's us. God uses, you know, fallible, broken human people to be his vessels. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Why do we tell others? Uh, to, uh, if you're in Romans 10, I'm going to read the pa- uh, passage. Uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. I'm not going to expositorily speak through it and preach through it because we're going to move around. I'm going to give you some other reasons why we tell others, but then we're going to come back to Romans 10. Uh, if you've never read the book of Romans, I highly recommend it. it is some, some people have called it the Christian Constitution. There's many people, uh, many professors over the years in logic class and different English classes that have used the book of Romans to show how to build an argument. Uh, Paul is really good at building an argument for the gospel. And so if you're kind of new to Christianity, it's a wonderful place to start. Uh, I don't recommend you start in Romans 9. Romans 9 is about God's sovereignty and how Israel is hardened to God. But Romans 10 is about how we have a responsibility to share the good news. And so that's kind of where we're going to start. You might find some familiar verses here when somebody gets baptized, which another announcement that we keep forgetting to make is we're going to be having a baptism on the New Year, uh, the first Sunday in June in January. I believe it's January 2nd or 3rd. And so if you're interested in getting baptized, uh, see me or Pastor Dell. But uh, often when we, when we baptize someone, we ask them to, um, we, uh, verse 9, we really focus on. So let's look at it. Look at verse, uh, chap- Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now he's talking here about the gospel, the word of God, the good news. He says that it's near you, the word of faith that we proclaim. Somebody has to actually say it, okay? Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What I like about this passage just right off the bat is is that the gospel is for everyone. And that's his point throughout the whole book of Romans. It's not just for the religious people or the the Jew who's been born religious and is like the chosen. He says, no, it's for the Gentile, it's for the pagan, it's for anybody, anyone, anywhere, in any religion or no religion who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Sometimes people, um, you know, think that the Christian church is too exclusive or cliquish. But I think when you read the Gospels and you read the heart and you see Jesus and you look at his life, he was so much a friend of sinners, uh, a, pe- a person who accepted all people from whatever background. And so I just want to say today, because we're going to say some really unpopular truths today. You're going to hear some inconvenient truths, quote unquote. Um, if you've been hurt by church or religion, I, I, I deeply, uh, you know, I, 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 
I apologize and I feel bad and I, and I understand that that's a reality. But the truth of the gospel is that it's for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Jesus came to save everyone. He didn't come to save a certain group of people. We're not supposed to be clones or individuals. Okay, so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now look at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they've never heard? You can't believe in somebody that you don't hear, hear about. How are you even supposed to know about Jesus unless somebody tells you? That's what he's basically saying. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? If no one says it. You ever heard that phrase uh, by, there's a famous quote, and I know my brother here, is, he loves it, uh, St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel always, if necessary, use words. Yeah, have you heard that before? Yeah. Preach the gospel always, if, if necessary, use words. Uh, I would say when necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words, okay? The heart of that quote is, you know what? We should be living the gospel, okay? Which is true. We should be living the gospel. Don't just claim to, to, you know, to be a Christian and, and not live it. But the reality is that unless somebody explains the gospel to you, you're never going to know it. And that's what, that's what Paul's saying here. He says, how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Anybody here have beautiful feet this morning? The Bible says when you share the good news with others, you have beautiful feet because you're taking it to them. Verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So look at verse 17. I really want you to underline it if you have your Bible. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. There's something about, and this is why we have sermons this is why when I get up here or Pastor Dell gets up here or anybody gets up here, we don't just come up here and preach our ideas. We preach God's word because there's something about the word of God being proclaimed that produces faith. Look at that verse. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The Bible says without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he earnestly rewards those who seek him. So you say, Tony, how do I get faith? Because I have a hard time believing in this God. I have a hard time trusting him. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. My youth pastor, um, bless his heart, before he passed away when he, was, um, when he was my youth pastor, he wrote in my Bible, he said, sin will keep you from this book, but this book will keep you from sin. And there's something about the word of God that is powerful. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, as we open up your word today, Lord, that um, we have a message to share with others. And it's, it's not about how good we are. It's not about how faithful we are or how, you know, what a great church we have. Or It's about you. It's about what you have done for us. Lord, I pray that the message of the gospel would be very clear uh, Lord, I'm very passionate about this topic, and so, Father, I pray that you would not that you would direct me. Lord, I desperately need you to speak truth and to be uh, um, logical up here this morning. But I ask God that your Holy Spirit would take our, my words and use them, Lord, to um, to change hearts, change my heart, change your change the hearts of those who listen, and empower us and motivate us to want to share the beautiful message of Jesus with others. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but last Sunday we took our students out uh, to the Dare to Share conference. And uh, the Dare to Share conference happens once a year. It's a conference that equips teenagers to share the gospel with others. And they've got this cool app called Life in Six Words, and so you can use an app. Um, we, uh, we actually went uh, to the conference, which was at, we went and joined with another church. It was a simulcast from Denver. But then in the afternoon, we go out and we actually like, talk to people and share the gospel with people. And we actually went to Woodfield Mall, of all places. We've been there before. Anybody ever been to Woodfield Mall? Yeah, it was packed last weekend. Great time of year, by the way, to go there. And uh, we just went up to people, and it's, it's great for me because I'm an adult and I have students next to me, so I kind of like, it's kind of like the scapegoat thing. I'm just like, hey, you know, good afternoon. We're just out, um, I'm out with a group of students, and we're just talking to people, learning how to listen and have conversations. Can we ask you a few questions? And believe it or not, most people said yes. And if you go up to somebody who's just standing there kind of waiting for something, and we, we went up to them and we said, you know, what, what are you doing for Christmas? What do you think about Christmas? And then we kind of went through the Christmas thing. What, what, what is the message of Christmas? And I'll be honest with you, at least the group that I was in, we talked to like at least 10 or 11 people, um, very few people knew the message of Christmas, the meaning of Christmas. You know, even like why we give gifts. One person said why, the wise men brought gifts. You know, but a lot of people said it's all about family. It's all about, I said, we said, do you go to church? No, you know. So we had an open door to actually talk to them about what the message of, of Christmas was all about. And it was amazing. You know, many people were open. And we, we asked, he said, you know, do you find it hard to believe in a God in today's society? Uh, it's a great question to ask, you know. Uh, and then, yes, and they say, no, why or why not? You know, and they share about that, you know. And I said, what do you think is the biggest problem in the world today? Now, usually, every time we do that, usually whoever the current president is gets, gets blamed. <laughs> um, but, you know, usually we hear greed and selfishness. You say, well, where does that come from, you know? Um, and, and then we, you know, a really good question that we like to ask is, if you were to stand before God, God forbid something that were to happen to you, and you were to stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you in? What would you say? Why should I let you into my kingdom? Now, you know, we, we, we have, there's a, you know, there's a, 20 years ago, we were talking about how we were becoming a post-Christian culture. But now it's like there. And we had 20-year-olds who were just like, I don't know the message of the Christ. I don't know what I would say. A lot of people still say, well, if I'm, a, I'm a good person. If my good deeds outweigh my bad. That's what we heard a lot. Okay, well, then we say, well, how good do you have to be? <laughs> you know, does everybody make it? We had a Catholic guy who said, yeah, everybody makes it. You know, kind of like, yeah, every, everybody makes it. What about Hitler? You know, <laughs> you know so it, it's funny that we have this mixed kind of a sliding scale standard. People don't really know what the gospel is. And that's kind of what we want to unpack today a little bit. Um, I put down, what is evangelism? Evangelism is, um, is the word that we get the word gospel from. How many of you have ever read? You know, it was interesting. We, um, uh, we asked people if they'd ever read the gospels or read the Bible. Many people hadn't. And so we, we pointed them to the YouVersion app, the Bible app. You know, it's been downloaded by over 500 million people already. I got an email this week about that. Um, and so we were pointing people to, this, to, the, to the Bible and, and, and reading it. And, and it was amazing how many people knew it. But if you've, ever, if you've never read the Bible, you know that there's the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke. Well, what's the gospel? You know, people say, what's the gospel? The gospel literally means good news. It comes from the word euangelion, which is a Greek word, which means the her a herald is bringing good news to, to you. 
okay? So it's the good news according to John, according to the good news according to Matthew. So when you read the Bible, the word evangelism is, comes from that. It means sharing the good news, all right? So I know it's a, for those of you who've grown up in church, some of you are like, oh, I don't like to evangelize, you know? And that's kind of what we're going to confront today. Let me give you a definition of evangelism. It is the activity in which the entire church prayerfully and intentionally relies on God in sharing the love and truth of the gospel to bring people one step closer to Jesus. After this first service, somebody came up to me and they said, you know, I'm so glad it's not our job to convince people or to change their minds. And, and, the, and the person said, yeah, it's just our, our job to share it, okay? And this is what we do. I like how this definition says it's, all, it's the entire church's responsibility. And we do it because we prayed and we intentionally rely on God in sharing the love and the truth of the gospel. Now, the, the Bible says Jesus was full of grace and truth. And if you've heard me preach before, you know I often kind of point these out. Because whenever we think about sharing the gospel with others, how many of you have ever been offended by somebody who actually was very um, forthcoming, very blunt, maybe very even arrogant sounding when they were sharing the gospel with you? How many of you have ever seen that? Okay, or you know, experienced that? Some, of us, you know, some people have, okay? And some people in, are very truth-oriented. They're like, you know what, I'm going to get to the truth. You know, if you don't accept Jesus, you know, you're going to be separated from him eternally. You know, blah, blah, blah. This is the only way. There's others of us who are very much full of grace and love. And so what we tend to be is like very relationship-centered when it comes to sharing the gospel. We want to earn the right to be heard. We want to make sure the person knows that we care about them before we give them the truth, okay? Now, I'm sharing this with you because these are not opposites. For Jesus, John 1.17 says he was full of grace and truth. And so... When it comes to why we tell others, we follow the, the example of Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, he was known to be a friend of sinners. He was always going to meals. He was eating and partying with people. He was having fun. He was loving the outcasts. He reached out to the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the sinners. He was gracious. He washed his disciples' feet. Okay? He was always loving. Love your enemies. Jesus was always about grace and love. But at the same time, did he also say really harsh things? Yes, he did. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me except through the Father. No one comes to the Father except through by me. He also said that uh, whoever believes in me will have eternal life, but whoever does not believe in me will be condemned, is already under the wrath of God. Uh, he said a lot of bad things about the the religious leaders of that day. He called them hypocrites. He called them blind gnats, you know, blind, blind eye camels. He had some really strong things in the area of truth. So my point is this. It's a balance full of grace and full of truth. And that's kind of how we want to approach this. I, I like uh, D.T. Niles' uh, definition of evangelism. Evangelism is just, is just telling one, is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's basically it. It's not about how good I am or how great I am or how skilled I am. It's just, you know what? I have found the bread of life, and I want to I tell you where, where, where I found it, all right? I, Jesus has done this for me, and I want to share it with you. That's all it is. And so this morning, as you think about, you know, I, I want you to ask yourself, you know, when was the last time you shared the good news of Jesus with somebody? What's keeping you from doing that? Why would you do it? 
Well, I would say the number one reason you would do it, and this goes back to why we sing, why we pray, why we give, it's an overflow of what God has done for us. God has, you know, when you get, when something good happens to you, you want to share it with others, right? You know, uh, when my daughter got into college and got accepted into the college that she's in, we were, I was telling people, you know, when my son got his first job in Hollywood, I was telling people, you know, uh, even when the Dolphins won a game, the first game of the year, the Miami Dolphins, I'm a big Dolphin fan, if you don't know that, a sick person, um, but pray for me. Uh, but the first game of the year, we beat the Patriots, our arch rivals in New England. I texted Pastor Bill, Pastor Dell, Christian and Patrick and a whole bunch of people, Gary up here. COVID is over. The world is set right. The Dolphins have won. You know, now obviously I was ridiculous because they never won a game after that pretty much. Uh, so I think they lost like six or seven in a row. You know, and I was just kind of like, wow, that's really silly. I had somebody text me when they beat the Ravens last week and I'm like, yeah, three and seven. That's about our record. Um, but, but my point is this. When something good happens, we want to share it with others. And that's kind of the idea here. With, with Jesus. Has Jesus impacted your life? All right, let's run through some reasons why we tell others. I would love to talk about how to tell others. In fact, I'd like to do some classes and get some, get some people together who really want to do this and kind of empower you to do it. Um, I know there's people in this, in this congregation that have the gift of evangelism, and that's awesome, but we're all commanded to evangelize, okay? So why do we tell others? Number one, Jesus' mission was to share the good news and save the lost, He's our example. I already said that, but again, just in case you think he was all about just healing people, look at Mark 1. It says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. This was actually the point last week that Pastor Dell made. Why do we pray? To show our dependence on God, because Jesus prayed. If Jesus needed to depend on the Father, don't we? But check out the rest of this, verse 36. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Now, the context here is that everybody, it says the whole neighborhood was at the front door the night before. And he was healing people. And he was, you know, helping people. And he was ministering to people. And so they're like, everyone's looking for you. Where are you, Jesus? And look at what he says in verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. Now, there's not too many statements where Jesus says, this is why I came. Mark 10, 45 says, I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I think we all know that Jesus came to die for our sins. That was his primary purpose. But he also came to live a life of love. And here he says, I came to preach. So it says he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Now you say, Tony, what did he preach? Well, if you're in Mark 1, if you have your, I know some of you didn't flip there. I'll I'll show you. Uh, Mark 1, 14 and 15. This is the essence of his message. Jesus went around preaching. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the what? The good news of God. What's the good news? Verse 15, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Kingdom of God is where God rules. Where does God rule? He rules in heaven. It has now come down to earth in the form of him. He is here. God in the flesh is here. Jesus is in this world. If we want, Jesus said later on, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Okay? 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the first part of the good news is that God is not up there yelling at us to get our lives together. What's God doing? He's coming down, humbling himself as a baby, as a man, and, and entering into it as a human being. This, that's like the miracle of Christmas. We're about to go into Advent season. In fact, this Tuesday night we're decorating for Christmas if anybody wants to join us. Um, but uh, think about that. We're going to go into a sermon series on the names of Christ uh, in, in the next few weeks as we enter Advent. Who is, who is Christ? You know, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor. We're going to talk about that. But the God of the universe becomes, the good news is he's become a man. The time has come. He's become like us. Why? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. God is here. Well, if God's here and I'm and he's perfect and he's holy and I'm not, guess what? There's that's oil and water. <laughs> that's oil and water right there. So the word repent means to change your mind. It means to turn around literally. Uh, it basically means all my life I've said, you know what? I'm the boss. I'm in charge. Living life my way is best. Uh, I'm going to do things my way. God, I hope you'll bless me. I'll pray for you to bless me. But to be honest with you, I am uh, the captain of my own soul. You guys ever seen Titanic? Anybody seen Titanic? Where the guy, the rich guy says to Jack, I create my own luck. You know, I create my own luck. I'm the captain of my soul. That's how you and I live our lives until we repent. And we say, oh my gosh, my life is hurting God. It's offensive to God. I've resisted God's rule in my life. And now I recognize that my sin not only hurts God, but it hurts other people too, and it hurts me. And so I have a change of mind. But, I, but I'm still not holy. So what does it say? Repent and do what? Interactive sermon. Believe the good news. Yeah. Believe means to entrust, to give yourself over, to surrender, to commit. I know you and I, we've grown up in this culture. I grew up thinking that believe was like a mental assent. Do I believe Abraham Lincoln was the fifth president? Do I believe Martin Luther King was a good man? Yes, I do. Do I believe in their causes? Yes, I do. Am I going to surrender my life to them? No, they're both dead. <laughs> I don't surrender and trust my life to dead people. But Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Now, what's the good news? That Jesus died and rose again. He died for the sin that I deserve. He took my place. And he became sin for me. And he made a way for me to get to God, to have a relationship with God. And so if I will repent and trust my life to him, I, not only am I, my sins forgiven, not only do I get to go to heaven when I die, but I get eternal life now. I get the living God, the kingdom of God in me. I become a new person. I have a changed heart. I become born again. That's the gospel. Isn't it good news? Yeah. I like what Luke said last week. He said, I think he was talking about something else, but very similar. He said, it's incredibly simple, but it's not easy. It's difficult, isn't it? It's really hard to repent because we all want to rule our own lives. And it's really hard to trust in somebody you can't see, okay? Somebody you don't know. So that's the gospel. And Jesus went around preaching that. That was his message, 
okay? Uh, Luke 19.10, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The context there is, is Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He says Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is like hated by everyone. He's an outcast. He's a crook. He's a criminal. He, they can't stand him. Zacchaeus is a short little guy. He climbs a tree to look at Jesus. Jesus says, hey, can I come over to your house for dinner? You know, I remember being on a, on a, on a bus in the city of Chicago one day and some guy ripping on Christianity and saying, Jesus was a loafer. He used to go to people's houses. You know? I'm like, that's not, contextually, that's not what's happening here. It was a great honor for the, the person, a rabbi, to go to his house. It wasn't, it wasn't on Jesus, it was on Zacchaeus. The, the pleasure was all Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is like, yes, he comes over, he cooks some dinner, and after spending some time and seeing who, how loving and gracious Jesus is, and yet recognizing that he has this holy man or, or God in his midst, what does Zacchaeus do? He repents and says, everything I've ever done, whoever I've cheated, I'm going to give back. And he repents and he puts his faith in Jesus. And, and, this, and this is what Jesus says. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That was the purpose. That's why Jesus told others. Okay? So, uh, good stuff. Let me keep going here. Jesus commanded us, to, commanded us to entrusted us to tell others. What are the last words of Jesus? I, there's a few in Acts, but I think in, in, uh, in Matthew 28, what does he say? After he's, he's come back from the dead, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you guys, you, you 12, who didn't all believe him at the time, some of them were doubting because they're like, dude, this is the guy that was just killed and crucified. And he's sitting here talking and eating with us. What? You know, when you read the Bible, sometimes we, we tend to like whitewash it and we think everybody has like super faith, but we don't, you know, because we have like this critical secular eye. They didn't. They were all shocked. Peter went back to fishing. You know, the one thing that transformed them was the fact that he was resurrected. If you read the book of Acts, the thing that gave them power to tell others wasn't, wasn't like the philosophy of Jesus or wasn't like, oh, you know, he answered my prayer or this is like a great idea or I'm going to make money off of it or I'm going to become powerful. It was, no, I'm going to die for this because this man is, was dead and now is alive. That's why I think the resurrection of Christ is the greatest uh, proof or the greatest reason why we should believe in Jesus. So what does he say? He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So again, why do we tell others? Because Jesus commanded us. He entrusted us with the, the, the main verb in here is to go make disciples. Make disciples as you're going, wherever you go. How do you do that? By baptizing them and teaching them. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel inadequate to tell others. I feel inadequate in my own life. If somebody looked at my life and said, oh, you know, is this what a Christian life looks like? You know, I, I don't know if I'd want to put my life all the time in front of people. And I'm glad it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And the last words that Jesus said after he said this, because he tells him to go, but then in Acts 1.8, he says what? Wait. Wait for what? Wait for the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Don't go out and do this in your own strength. Don't think it's about you. Remember he said, when they arrest you and when you're taken before the, the Sanhedrin, you're taken before the rulers and the leaders, I will give you the words, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. 
And so in Acts 1.8, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will receive power. To me, that's very encouraging because it's not on me. I don't, I don't convince people. It's not about my goodness. Uh, it's not about how great my life is. It's not how good I look. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit. That's incredibly liberating. Now, the question is, do I believe in that? Do I believe that the Holy Spirit will? Um, another reason why we will tell Jesus, uh, we, we tell others about Jesus um, is because of the fact that the gospel is powerful. And this kind of relates to what I just said. It's, the power is not in us. The power is in the message. It's in the seed. Remember the seed that grows up, the mustard seed? It grows up, and, and remember the word of God, is, he says, scatter to the seed. Sometimes the birds take the seed. Sometimes the seed falls on good soil. The power is not in how well I, 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 I spread it. The power is in the seed. Look at this guy, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The power of the gospel. There's something about the gospel that changes people's hearts. When you know what Jesus did for you, when you know how sinful you are, and yet God still loves you and has made a way. The gospel is powerful. All right, one more reason, and then we'll get to the real reason, okay? All right, here we go. Number one, we, need, uh, uh, we said this. What did we say? We said Jesus is our example. We do it. Jesus commanded us and entrusted us. The gospel is powerful. And then we need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope we have. First uh, Peter says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with what? Yeah. Yeah, we should not be the arrogant people. We should not be, you know, be like, it's, it's my way or the highway. We should be with gentleness and respect. But what should we do? We should be prepared to give an answer. Now, the word here is apologia, okay? And it's not apologize for your faith, but it's apologetics. I don't know if, it, how many of you have ever heard of the word apologetics? Yeah, it's called the, it's the study of the defense of the faith. And what P Peter is saying here is that every Christian who has this hope in them of Christ coming back, should be able to give a reason for that hope. You should be able to give a defense of why you believe. Uh, we, about two years ago, it feels like it was two years ago, maybe it was a year ago, we took our students through uh, an acronym, J-B-W-E-N-R. I called it J-B Wiener, okay? Um, and it's like, how do you know the Christian faith is true? And what I tried to communicate to our students is, is that ultimately, why do we believe in, in, in Jesus. If you only believe in Jesus just because he's answering your prayers or just because your parents do or because it's working for you, well, how many of you know that that ship will sail? People will disappoint you. Uh, you can't live on your parents' faith forever. And number three, life sucks. It's hard, <laughs> okay? And when you're trying to live out your faith, you're gonna hit a wall. And there will be times when it's not working for you. And so we talk our students to say, no, the reason I believe in this is the best reason to believe in God or Christ or the Bible is because it's true. If it's not true, then it's not worth believing. Now, I know that that's not popular for some people. You're like, well, then, you know, you know I, I'm just going to follow God until it, until it doesn't work for me. Well, no, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So we did this J.B. Wiener thing, and I won't give it to you, but I will. Um, 
Jesus, the life of Jesus. How do I know Jesus? How do I know the, the Bible, the message of the gospel is true? The life of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, okay? The fact of who, I think that, that stands alone. If I only had one of those, I would take Jesus. But then there's the Bible, the durability of the Bible, the, the life-changing power of the Bible, how so many people have tried to destroy the Bible over years, and yet it's still the bestseller year after year after year. It still changes lives. So you've got the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You've got be Bible. Then you've got um, worldview. Which worldview best answers the, the fundamental questions of life? Uh, is it atheism? Is it naturalism? Is it theism? Or is it pantheism? And we kind of talk about that, you know, where do we come from? Why are we here? How do we know right from wrong? Is there life after death? Which worldview makes the most sense, okay? Uh, and, and answers reality, is, is corresponds to reality. Uh, Wiener E was experience. We've experienced Jesus, okay? N is nature and R is reason. So uh, if you'd like more on that, see me. I'm happy to give you some of that. But this is, a, it's important. And you say, Tony, why do you say all this? Because if you, when you read the book of Acts, Guess what Paul is, and Peter are always doing? They're sharing the gospel, and they're reasoning and persuading and talking, okay? And you know what? They didn't convince everybody. There were kings, and there were rulers who said, you're about to convince me, but not quite. Not everybody they shared Christ with believed. That's not the point. The point is, is that we share. And the point is, is that we do take the time to reason and persuade. My biggest fear for this culture today, we have become such a non-confrontational culture. And, and now with all the political stuff going on, nobody, want, you know, you, you've all you heard the phrase around the holiday table, don't bring up politics or religion. You can't talk about those two things. And if there was ever a time where nobody wants to talk politics, you know, it could be now, okay? And I would, I would argue that maybe, you know, that, that might be the, the, the death of our country if we don't start talking about these things. But for a long time, we've done that with religion, with faith. We've said, ah, I don't want to talk about these things because those are uncomfortable topics. And so what happens is we never have the conversation. We never ask what's going on. We never, we never talk to people. Um, one of the things that you can do if, you're, if you have unbelievers this holiday season, and if you have a good relationship with them and, you, and, the, and the subject of faith comes up, or even if it doesn't, let me give you just a question to consider asking them. Tell me why you're not a Christian. You know, a lot of times we put people on the offensive and we say, you know, you should be a Christian and this is why I'm a Christian. But instead say, tell me why you're not. That's what happened with a, a St. Louis lawyer a few years back and a businessman. That they were, they, uh, the lawyer went and visited the Christian businessman for some transaction. And before the two parted, the businessman said to him, I've often wanted to ask you a question, but I've been afraid to do so. The lawyer's like, well, what do you want to know? Asked the lawyer. The man replied, I've wondered why you're not a Christian. The man hung his head. He says, I know enough about the Bible to realize that it says no drunkard can enter the kingdom of God, and you know my weakness. But the believer said, you're avoiding the question. Well, he said, the lawyer, truthfully, I can't recall anyone ever explaining to me how to become a Christian. Picking up a Bible, the client read some passages showing that all are under condemnation, but that Christ came to save the lost by dying on the cross for their sins. By receiving him as your substitute and redeemer, he said, you can be forgiven if you're willing to, to receive Jesus. He said, would you like to pray together? The lawyer agreed, and when, he was, and when it was his turn to pray, the lawyer said, 
Oh, Jesus, I am a slave to drink. One of your servants have shown me how to be saved. Oh, God, forgive my sins and help me overcome the power of this terrible habit in my life. Right there, he put his faith in Jesus Christ. That lawyer's name was C.I. Schofield, who later edited the reference Bible that bears his name. Some of you may not know that name, but there's study Bibles under people's names, and one of the all-time best study Bibles and most selling Bibles was the Schofield Study Bible. I'm sure you can still get it. Anybody, anybody have a Schofield Study Bible? Okay, I see some hands, yeah. Here's a guy that never had anybody explain it to him, but somebody had the heart and the love and the boldness to say, tell me why you're not a Christian, you know? And uh, sometimes when you ask that question, people are, are willing to say, well, tell me why you are. And then you have an opportunity to share as well. All right, let's get to the real reason. You guys ready? The real reason we should share, and I kind of said it way back at the beginning. This is from Romans 10. This is not comfortable. You will not want to hear this. Some of you, this will turn you off. Uh, Some of you who've been looking for an excuse to reject Christ, here you go. It's not convenient. It's definitely not popular. But if we don't tell others about Jesus, there is no other way. The truth is, is that if people in the world are to hear the gospel, we, the church, are the only ones who can preach it to them. Now, I know most of us, it's become really popular in these years to, to adopt this idea that, you know what, everybody's going to make it. Everybody's going to make it. God will find a way. God is fair. God is just. And I, I always get this question, you know, what about the African person, the person in Africa, the native who's never heard about God? Come on, that is so unfair for God to judge them just because they've never heard about Jesus. That is so unfair. How do you deal with that question? Well, first of all, uh, there's more Christians in Africa per capita than there is per capita in America. (laughs) The African church is growing like wildfire. But if any of you listened to Moody this week, you found out that Mongolia is completely unreached. And they were raising money for the Far East broadcast system to send radios. 98% of the Mongolian people have never heard the gospel. What about that? Well, according to the Bible, and this is not, we didn't make this up. It's not like, oh, yeah, you know, like, oh, we want to, like, promote the church. No. Jesus said, you know, unless Romans, Paul said, unless they go, unless somebody is sent, they're not going to hear. And so what I want to do real fast is kind of walk you through this. I want to walk you through the logic that Paul uses, particularly in the early chapters of Romans. All right? The first logical thing that he says is this. Everyone is aware of God. Yeah, even the native, even the the person in the jungle. All right? Everyone is aware of God. Look at Romans 1, verse 18 to 20. And I would say if there was a, a, a passage of Scripture that is not politically correct. It would be Romans 1, right, these days, right? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people. You know, when we share the gospel with people, we say, God created you to love him. That God is good. He wants you to know him. Jesus loves you. And then the first question somebody will come up with is then, if God is so good and he loves me, why is this world so screwed up? Why is this world so broken? This answers that question. The answer to that is our sins have separated God, uh, God, us from God. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven and against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Whoa. What is he saying here? He's saying that everyone is aware of God in two ways. One is the creation. He's saying that the creation testifies to a creator. Why is there something rather than nothing? And he's saying that people all over the world, they, they recognize that there's something out there. But what do they do? They suppress the truth. Suppress the truth has this idea of like a beach ball, you know, in water. You, try, you ever try to put a beach ball under the water? It won't go. It'll go, but you got to hold it because then it pops back up. There's something about the truth of our accountability to God that pops back up. So what he's saying is human nature is suppresses the truth. It's not that they don't know the truth. It's that they do know and they don't want to know it. Okay? Now I know this gets a little bit controversial, but it's 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 if you follow if you read Romans for yourself, you'll follow his argument. First he says the glory and beauty of creation teaches us that there's a creator. All right? And then he says um, the second thing in Romans 1 is he says innately there's a sense of right and wrong. We know that. We get there's, there, there, we know. I went to O'Hare yesterday and picked up my daughter at the airport. And if you've ever been to an airport, you know that they always have you know, a sign that says, keep your parking ticket. Keep your parking ticket. <laughs> Make sure you keep your parking ticket. That's a strong indication that somebody somewhere is going to ask me for my what? My parking ticket, yeah. When, you're, when your conscience tells you that that is wrong, that is a strong indication that there is a lawgiver to whom we are responsible and to whom we ultimately are going to answer. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the story of Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. Uh, how many of you ever heard of Jim Elliot? Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, yeah. They were missionaries. I think it was back in the 50s. I could get my time frames wrong, so forgive me. But they were missionaries that felt God calling them to go to Ecuador to reach the Aka Indians who were an unreached tribal group that was very violent, very cannibalistic, very, like, you know, rudimentary. And they went there with the gospel. And they went there with some friends. And they prayed and they went there. And the tragic story, if you don't know it, is that they shot and killed Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott, he had that famous quote, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot lose to gain what he can never uh, what, what he can't, what he, what he, I can't finish it, so it's a bad, bad thing to do when you start quoting something. Want to help me out with there? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot lose to gain. Yes, to gain what he cannot keep. Thank you, Dave. Um, but here's my story with that. Elizabeth Elliot went back and said, I, with the gospel, and said the gospel, I love you and I forgive you. And those men that shot his and killed his husband became Christians. And that whole uh, area was transformed by the gospel. Uh, so much so today that there's been a whole movie written about it, made about it, books written about it, called uh, End of the Spear and Beyond the Glory. Great documentary if you get a chance. But I'm sharing this with you because the, uh, the Aka Indian who came to Christ said this, I've noticed that many of you Westerners think that we went around killing and eating people because we just didn't know better. That's not true. We always knew that there was a deity of some kind and that he was very displeased with what we were doing. We knew better. We knew there was a sense of right and wrong. 
And that's what Paul says. Paul says, all of us know better. Uh, Helen Keller has an interesting story how she came to know God. You know, she was blind and deaf and couldn't talk. And the person who explained the idea of God to her, as she, as she came about this idea of God, a light broke on, on, on Helen Keller's face, and she answered back in this way, Oh, I know him. I've known him a long, long time. I just didn't know what to call him. Isn't that amazing? Even in the heart of someone who has no eyes to see, no ears to hear, God had written himself into the human heart. And that's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying everyone is aware of God. The issue is, is we suppress that truth. The second uh, step, real fast, is all people are aware of God, but everyone has rejected him. Look at Romans 121. He says, for although they knew that there was a creator, they knew God. They neither glorified him nor gave thanks to him. Interesting, you know, we're on Thanksgiving. This is a great passage to think about for Thanksgiving. When we refuse to give thanks, that's usually a sign of our rejection of God. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. The desire to suppress the truth manifests itself in three ways. They disobeyed what they knew to be right. They sought other things more than they sought God. And they, some of them turned to atheism. Okay? That knowledge of, was not arrived at through a logical series of steps. That logic, was, that way of thinking that there is no God, flew out of corrupt desires. That's kind of what he's saying here. Okay? You know, postmodernism is, is not the best thing because it says, oh, there is no truth at all, which is not true because if that statement was not true, then it wouldn't be true. It's so circular. But postmodernism has taught us something, that we're all prejudiced in what we see and, and that, you know, how we utter facts and what we, what we decide our facts is often determined by our prejudices. Our hearts color what we see. What we see is often determined by what we love. And that's what Paul is saying here. Uh, Aldous Huxley, he wrote A Brave New World. He also wrote Ends and Means. This is what he said. He said, he was a, he was a famous agnostic. An agnostic is a person who says, I don't know if there is a God. But he embraced atheism, and he was one of the leaders of the sexual revolution. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning, and consequently assumed that it had none, and was able to, without any difficulty, to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. For myself, as, as no doubt, for most of my contemporaries, atheism was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. At least he's honest. I could quote you like four or five other atheists, Thomas Nagel, uh, Bertrand Russell, other people who said, you know what? Yeah, the reason I choose not to believe in God isn't just because I don't feel like there's not enough evidence. I, you know what? The issue is I don't want there to be a God because it frees me to my own pursuits. Now, I'm not saying that, that every atheist is like that, but I'm saying that the roots of atheism, according to Romans 1, comes from corrupt desires. So all people are aware of God. All people have rejected him. Look at Romans 3. There is, now, there is no one righteous, not even one. This is Paul speaking. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay? 
All people resist God's rules and resent God's centrality. Some do it within their system of religion. Some do it by rejecting religion altogether. But the universal response is rejection of God. Let me ask you a personal question today. And this is a very personal question, and some of you might not like it. But have you, and then whether you're a Christian or not, have you ever come to the point in your life where you recognized your own personal rebellion and rejection of God? Where you said, I want to be God, okay? I'm not talking about when you were two years old and you're like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm talking about as an adult. You said, you know what? I don't want God to be the captain. I want to be the captain of my soul. That's the essence of sin. Sin is not, you know, sin, the, the expressions of sin might be drugs. It might be, it might be you, know, um, you know, sexual morality. It might be swearing. It might be greed. And, you know, but the essence of it is idolatry. And it says, I want to be God. I don't want you. And the Romans wrote, the book of Romans says, everyone's aware of God, everyone's rejected him. And all people are guilty before God. Now you say, well, isn't, isn't God being mean and unfair? No, he's not. He's saying, I am the God that created everything. You owe everything to me. And we're saying, no, I want it, I want it my way. We're resisting him. Everyone's guilty before God because all of us have resisted the rule and glory of God evident in creation. That means we're all guilty, not because of what we haven't heard, but because of what we have heard and rejected. Does that make sense? What does that mean for us? Well, first, quick question. What about babies? And what about the mentally challenged? Often, you know, those of you who've had a child die very young, you know, this question comes up. It's very painful, very difficult. What do we know about that? Well, first of all, follow the logic. Why does the wrath of God come upon people? Because they suppress the what? The truth, okay? But if I don't know the truth, where there's no knowledge of the truth, there can be no suppression. Romans 5.13 says, sin is not counted where there is no law. So many theologians believe that babies are mentally challenged. Do they understand the law? No, they do not. Do they have hearts inclined to sin? Yes, but is their sin counted? No. Deuteronomy 1 says, when all of Israel sinned and was kept from going into the promised land, God said this about their children. As for your children, who today have no knowledge of good and evil, they shall go in there. He allowed them to go in. So this doesn't apply to babies and children, but every adult, Paul concludes, has suppressed the truth about God and is guilty of cosmic treason. Now the good news of the gospel will never be good news until you recognize the bad news. That's why Francis Schaeffer said, if I had 60 minutes to share the gospel with somebody, I'd spend 50 minutes on the bad news and 10 minutes on the good news. When I was a teenager, all I heard was, accept Jesus or go to hell. I heard, accept Jesus and he'll give you peace and love and joy and a girlfriend. Hey. <laughs> you know, they throw it all in. It's like a, a pair of Nikes. Why not? Yeah, say this prayer and you'll go to heaven, you know, and then everybody, come on, say this prayer. You know, it took me a long time to realize, hey, you know what? I've got a rebellion issue. I've rejected the God. And yet, even though I've stuck up my middle finger at heaven, what does Romans 5.8 says? But God demonstrated his own love toward us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the good news. Like that song we just sang, he never stops loving us. No matter how far we Run, thank you. Somebody pays attention to our songs, yeah. No matter how far we run, 
I love you guys. All right, let's, I know you guys are like, hey, it's time to go, Tony. Wrap it up. Okay. All right, let's wrap this up. I gave you three points to help you understand that there's no other way. We need to go out and tell people. Everyone is aware of God, but they've rejected him. And we're all guilty before God. The good news is God has made a way of salvation for all people. Romans 3 again, verses 21 to 24. Look at it. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The whole point of the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who what? Yeah. There's a condition on there. Not everybody gets it. You have to believe. You have to receive it. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you've grown up. It doesn't matter what you've believed, what you've done. There's no, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, We're all falling short. So it doesn't matter whether you're as good as the Pope or not. The Pope falls short just as much as, 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 I, as, 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 as I have. Okay, we're, there's no like sliding scale. It's not your good deeds outweigh your bad. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But look at the good news, verse 24. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. A couple quick words in this real fast. God's made a way of salvation for all people. Gift. It's a gift. Was it free? It doesn't cost us anything, but did it cost the giver? Yeah, big time. Cost him his life and the most torturous death that anybody could ever die. Why did Jesus come in the first century? To show us the extent of his full love for us, that he would suffer. So when we see suffering and pain in this world, we will know that there is a God that identifies with that, and it breaks his heart. And not only a God that identifies, that chose to enter in and to suffer. Gift, redemption. That means Jesus' gift to us was to pay the price for our sin. You guys ever been to a dam? Oh, my favorite stupid joke. Have I ever told you my favorite stupid joke? You're like, yeah, two fish are swimming. One hits a wall, the other one yells, damn. <laughs> I love that one. Okay. Right. I've heard it said like this. If we are, some of you are still getting that one. It was as if the rightful wrath of God against our sin was pent up behind a dam five miles wide and 10 miles high. And suddenly that dam breaks open and a torrent of water rushes down upon us. But just before it overwhelms us, the ground in front of us opens up and swallows every bit of it. That, this is the cross of Jesus. Jesus stood in our place and he took the full fury of the wrath of God was unleashed upon him. And he absorbed every ounce of it in our place. Remember when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he said, if this cup can be passed from me, please do, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. The cup was the cup of God's wrath. And he drank it and he turned it over and he said, it is finished at the cross. He did, he took it for us. So it's grace, it's undeserved. When we talk about fair, we ought to realize, what, what we ought to realize is that what is fair is that each of us suffer the penalty for our sin. Grace is not fair, it's undeserved, it's unearned kindness. What is amazing is not God's judgment of us, but his kindness to us. And then the last thing is believe. The way we receive the gift is simply to believe it. It's to trust in Jesus Christ. Last point, everyone must hear the gospel to believe and be saved. Let's go back to Romans 10. You still have your Bible open? Verse 14. We can only believe on Jesus when we've heard the message. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
You can't call on somebody you don't believe in. And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? You can't believe in someone if you haven't heard about them. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Faith, verse 17, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You say, Tony, how does that work? The preached word of God has a strange, life-giving answer. It's a little mystical, but I'll say this. The word of God not only tells you what to do, but it gives you the power to do it. Remember when Jesus would heal with somebody, what he would say? Rise up, take up your mat, and walk. Verbally, that was a command. But guess what? In that command was the power to do what? Was to do it. That's why the word of God is alive and active. You say, Tony, I'm struggling with faith. Yeah, I've been there. I do too. What is going to help your faith? Hearing the word of God. So stay for another half hour. We'll keep going. No, just kidding. All right. All right. Um, but no, but that's the idea. It's the word of God. The word of God. Now, one last story and then we're done. You say, Tony, um, I still think that someone could just look around and respond to God and do what's right and God count that. I mean, God is fair and at that point they're doing all they can. What about the sincere Muslim, the sincere Hindu who's doing all they can? Cornelius. Everybody say Cornelius. Cornelius, there's a guy in the Bible that this happens to. He's part of the Italian regiment. Acts 10, 1 to 3. Look at it on your screen. There was a certain man called Cornelius. The newsboys did a whole song about him. Anybody ever heard that song? Never mind. Okay, that's my ADD kicking in. A centurion, a centurion who was called by the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. I would be afraid too if I saw an angel. It would freak me out. And he said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. And you're doing fine. Keep doing it. No. Look, now send for who? Does it say it up there? Oh, you can't see it. Now send for Peter. He will tell you what you must do. So here's a man who did not know the God of the Bible. He was in a Roman pagan culture where back then, by the way, it was very pluralistic. Uh, the only thing you couldn't say was Jesus is Lord because he wanted to say Caesar is Lord. But you could never say that there was one way, one God, because that would be being arrogant or supreme and you'd think your culture is better than others, but you had to submit to Caesar. So here's this guy who's faithful to this Roman deity, famous, or to God that he knows about, but he doesn't know about Jesus. What happens? An angel comes and says, I'm sending Peter to you. Listen to him. And Peter concludes his sermon. I won't read it all, but he says, To Jesus all the prophets give witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness through his name. Now, Peter does not say, Cornelius, God has noticed you're a good guy and God has already accepted your implicit faith in Christ and I'm here to announce that you're already saved. No, he says, you must believe in Jesus and then you will receive Forgiveness of sins through his name. And then Acts 11 says, Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send for Peter who will tell you words by which you and your whole household will be saved. What's going on here? In the, in the Bible, the gospel never goes forward except through a human instrument. And you, so th what am I saying? Why should we tell others? Yeah, Jesus did it. He's our example. The gospel is powerful. We need to have a reason for why we believe, but ultimately there's no plan B. 
We need to be the ones that, that, that do it. Now you say, Tony, what about the Muslim? Well, I'll tell you about the Muslim. Right now, and for the last 10 or 15 years, there has been visions and dreams. Muslims are seeing Jesus. They're seeing a person that is being described as Jesus. They're also seeing people coming in their visions and dreams while they sleep of people telling them about Jesus. But guess what? Somebody still has to tell them about Jesus. And Muslims are coming to Christ in many, many different cultures in the, in the Middle East and in different areas. So God is sovereign. God is good. And God is fair. But he chooses to use us to be his vessels. He wants us to be the ones who tell. And I don't know about you, but that's incredibly humbling to me that he would believe in us, that he would care about me. I told the first service, you know, a lot of them are at the point of retirement or have retired. I said, don't you want to spend your life getting the gospel to people who've never heard? That's storing up treasures in heaven. I heard of a man who said, I want to travel the world and collect all these items from all these different things. And you think about it, you know, we all have our bucket lists. But when the new kingdom in heaven, uh, the new kingdom comes, we're going to be able to experience all the joys of the earth that God has created. But the one thing we're not going to be able to do when God, Christ comes back is we're not going to be able to tell other people about him. It'll be too late. The one thing that he commands us to do is to tell others about Jesus and to do it with grace and to do it with truth. And so I want to encourage you this holiday season not to be afraid to share the good news, to tell others. And I want to encourage you to, to not ignore it or deny it. Some of us deny it, or like, ah, they'll be okay. Or we ignore it, maybe later. But to embrace it, embrace the calling to share the good news with others. That's why our church exists. Yeah, we want to give bags to the hungry and the, whole, and the, and the hurting. We're, we're called to do that. Jesus healed people, but that was secondary. It was secondary to his mission of proclaiming the truth and dying for our sins and proclaiming the good news. This morning, if you're not sure that you've ever repented and actually believed in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. Maybe you've never recognized that you have a personal agenda, a rebellion against God. And one of the reasons you don't believe in him or don't trust him is because you want to live your own life <laughs> and you think it would be better. And, and, and the God of the Bible today, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know, anytime, anywhere, a person can repent and they can put their faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us. You love us so much that you came to, to, to reveal yourself to us, Lord. Father, I pray for the skeptic this morning, for the doubter, maybe even for the atheist. Lord, I pray that they, you would know, they, that, they, that they're in their desires, that they would be awakened for their desire for God. Lord, I think of my life, and I know when I was hurting, I did not believe because I did not want to. But I did have real doubts, God. And you came, and you helped me through that. You put people in my life you showed me the truth, but you were so patient with me, God. I pray that you'd be patient with people here today. Let them know, Lord, that you are patient. The reason why you haven't come back in 2,000 years is because you said that you are a God that wants all people to come to you and that you are patient. You're not slow in keeping your promises, but you want everyone everywhere to repent. 
Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that is willing to repent, that you would give them that ability, Lord, to rise up and repent and believe in the good news, to, to trust you as their Savior. Today is the day of salvation. Father, I pray for the rest of us who've made that choice, Lord. I pray, God, this Thanksgiving and this Christmas season that we would be looking for opportunities to tell others about you. I pray that you'd arm us with questions, but I pray most of all that we would rely on your spirit, the power of your spirit, Lord. Give us a deeper love for the lost. Give us a deeper love for you. And I pray, God, that you would, um, that we would testify uh, to the blessed assurance that we have. In Jesus' name.